Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskan. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. I'm a bit tired today. I am. I had a busy weekend and just feeling a little bit tired in myself as we start a new week. But I'm up for it. Always up for it on late lunch for you, I have to say. Welcome to the show. How's your washing? How is your washing this afternoon? Have your drawers been blown to kingdom come in the storm? Is your top in somebody else's garden? I'd say there's people hung out the wash today because you know yourself, people are always watching for it. That's a great drying day out. Hung them out and I'd say they're everywhere at the moment. I wonder if anybody out there has lost some washing this morning. By God, it's blown a gale, isn't it? It's going to continue, looks like, into the afternoon, but easing by evening time. Oh, yes, the wash. And you're saving, of course, in the current circumstances. When the wind blows, get it out there on your line and get it dry. But you'd have to have pegged it down with a ball of pegs today. Anyway... Stay with us for the next couple of hours. We have lots of chat and people for you to meet. Nice music besides and a new artist of the week. But I begin today and I'm joined on the show by a man who is certainly lucky to be alive. You see, he headed for the Ukraine to uh, assist the Ukrainian forces there in the war against Russia. But recently, well, he is lucky to be alive is all I'll tell you. And he's talking to me this afternoon from his hospital bed. He's from Rathoton County Mead. Brian Maher, Hello. Hi there, how are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I've been looking at the pictures of you, which are injuries, etc. It goes without saying. Did you think your time was up? Uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose, I suppose it did, um, because uh, the injuries that I sustained, um, and th- there's other things there where I stuff literally come in, enter the right side of my body, and they exited my left. Like, they, they hit me in my arm, went through my arm, went into my the side of my chest, and go out the left hand side. I literally travelled the length of my body and out they went. So, yeah, so I'm lucky. So that was shrapnel, and were you hit by ammunition as well? Yeah, so I, I took a gunshot to uh, my right forearm, um, and again, I kind of had my hands tucked in for warmth. Um, it was an ambush, kind of, uh, so at the time, we didn't know. Um, we were under attack until it actually kicked off. So uh, I had my hands kind of tucked into my chest. So whoever was aiming at me, was kind of aimed, aimed off to the side, so it would have 
completely missed my body armor and got me in my chest. But because I had my my hand where it was, the bullet entered uh, my right forearm. It hit the the ulna, it and then it popped it, it ricocheted back out. And where were you hit with the shrapnel? Uh, everywhere. Everywhere. Um, I, I got three in my leg. Three went to my leg. So I know my fingers are fairly chewed. I, I still have no idea what happened then. Um, so obviously I got hit there. Uh, I'm still two in the heart. That's another two there. One is, is lodged in my spine. One there. Uh, they found here in the Irish hospital but, um, in Cork. They found another one lodged in my um, chest wall. That's another one there. I have around two exit uh, um, exit points on my left hand side. There's another two there. I've one that that came in and went out the front of my chest. So that's another one. There. I think it was 11, 11 or twelve my, around. My oh my, you were so fortunate. And when you're hit, do you realise in that moment how serious it is? Um, no, no. So when when the blast initially happened and, and everything, so the blast. Um, happened. It was a claymore mine, so that that was uh, something activated. So it was electronically detonated mine. So obviously the Russians were watching us. They seen us kind of uh, pull up. They activated, and and I just kind of heard just noise everywhere. I fell off the back of uh, the jeep or the pickup truck that I was on. Um, I had no idea what happened. I stood up and I looked, and, and I just seen a load of uh, kind of white smoke that you get after when um, explosives go off. Um, and it was probably the length of a jeep away from me it went off um, so I looked and oh that's not good so I, I turned to my left and I started running and as I was running I was like oh my god I can't believe I'm okay and I, and I was even starting to kind of smile um, as as I was running and then a couple of more metres my, my body obviously caught up and uh, I just kind of went to the ground mm. uh, and just explain where you were you were on the front line where? in uh, Kharkiv it was Kharkiv offensive and the Russians, obviously, you were on the offensive. They were retreating. There seemed to be, they've abandoned positions. I know this that you saw, and you didn't think there were any of them there. But after the detonating, they saw you detonated that mine. They followed up then with the gunfire. Yeah, gunfire and artillery. So it probably lasted for around 30 seconds. So what they would have been doing, even though it was an ambush, um, it, w- it would have been what they were doing, we'd call a fight and retreat. So they were obviously buying time, um, to, or whatever for maybe other forces to exit the, the town that we were about to enter so uh, the whole point of what they wanted to do was, was to create as much casualties as possible so it took it took uh, it took manpower then to get us out of there like, and it stalled the attack Now you are a trained soldier because you were a member of the Irish Defence Forces for 15 years but I have to ask you this why did you decide to go and you have of course a family here yeah, yeah, family. But like, I, I've been to with the Irish Army. I've been to Syria, I've been to Lebanon, I've been to Liberia. Uh, it's just what the soldier does. Like, you know, at those times, I, I left my family as well and I had to go. Um, I suppose it just comes down to simply what's what's going on is wrong and it should be stopped. Mm. And I know you say you went with the Irish forces, but mainly it's a peacekeeping exercise. But I know it's fraught with danger too. I'm not taking anything away from mm. that. But w- what's going on in the Ukraine is certainly uh, different indeed with the intensity of it and uh, the the firepower that the Russians have. Uh, how did you, did you just decide, I'm curious about this, uh, Brian, did you just decide one day, I'm going, how did you affect going and how did you link up with the forces over there? 
No, so kind of uh, how how I decided to go was um, I always had kind of an interest in that area, especially when um, Bush invaded in 2014. So I've always kind of watched um, the news, like YouTube clips on, on that area. Mm. So when they went fully this time, um, it was just... Uh, just every all the stories coming out, everything coming out there, um, that kind of propelled me, I suppose, to to uh, to mm-hmm. go out. And um, yeah, but how I ended up getting there was uh, I went the kind of the official route. The official route was uh, you were to apply through your embassy, and the local or the defence attaché, the Ukrainian defence attaché, would interview you, and he would yay or nay you, and you're meant to supply obviously all your military documents. Uh, mm. To prove who you are now, um, we haven't got a defence attaché here, um, so I had to go to. I had to be put in contact with London, mm. and it took around two months to get back to me, and then they okayed me to go over. And I flew over uh, to Poland, Jeshov, and uh, crossed the border. And as soon as I crossed the border, um, I was met there by uh, Legion personnel. And. Are you giving giving your kit then, uniform, you know, guns, uh, ammunition, whatever you need? Were you rigged out with everything by the forces there? No, I, I took everything with me. Um, just, I suppose, many years of being in the army, uh, if you don't carry it, you don't have it, was kind of the mentality I had going over. So I, I had everything there going over. So you... Uh, obviously, minus weapons. Oh, yeah, okay. But but uh, then then you're, you're, uh, you get your weapons, etc. What about meeting your colleagues or training or anything like that how, how did that work yeah so originally my plan was to right i'll go over and no i didn't know anyone over here so i didn't exactly know what i was going to be doing mm. like i didn't know i could end up uh, fighting i didn't know maybe they could want me to train people i, I didn't know they could turn me away at the border probably now so um when i came down to the border but the intention was to go to the Legion and take it from there. Uh, but when I got there and I was interviewed, um, the Ukrainian officer said to me, would you like, Would you? I think you're, you could be a candidate for a thing called GUR, like G-U-R, and it's their special operations. And I had no idea what it was. Um, and he said to me, listen, it's professional soldiers like you, um, foreigners, they recruit from the Legion. Would you want to go there? It's a six-week kind of training slash selection process. Um, so I went that route. And did you spend those number of weeks training? Uh, yeah, yeah. So when we it was, it was weird because when we got there, um, I don't know what it is, where I was, who I was. It was Americans everywhere. Um, the, the equipment that was there was I could see from my time in the army it was really expensive equipment. So I had no idea who these guys were. Um, they looked like a mix between CIA. Blackwater and American Special Forces, they were just, you know, for my eyes, it was just crazy looking. Um, so when I got there, there was, I got to the camp and everyone there was from really, really good units within the American um, Army. So you had like paratroopers, you had Green Berets, you know, all, all ex, none of them current, obviously. Yes. Um, so that's the type of personnel that were there. Like. So there are a lot of Americans on the ground, but as you say, to emphasise there, they're former uh, Defence Forces members yeah. like yourself in the States, but with a lot of experience and I'm sure behind them. So you do your training on that, and then how, how long were you on the front line? Was it that you just arrived and in your first encounter that this happened to you? No, so I was in the country since May, um, so I ended up going to uh, to Kiev, and in Kiev there, 
It was um, Severodonetsk was going on at the time. It was when they were losing Severodonetsk. And uh, Jordan Galli, I think was your man's name, I was told, listen, you're going to be replacing to a guy. You're going tomorrow. Uh, and it turned out it was, it was your man, Jordan Gatley. And I think it was another two other guys were killed um, for over the previous days. So we were sent to uh, Krimatorsk, uh, which is around 20 kilometres away from uh, Severodonetsk, uh, to link up with that unit there. But when we got there, when we were tra- travelling on the road, that's when they lost Severodonetsk, so that they pulled they pulled back across the river. Mm. So uh, when we arrived up there, I was kind of half in my head going, you know, oh, geez, thank God, because I could see they were, you could see they were losing uh, Severodonetsk, and you, you knew there was a big river, and that's the last thing you want when you're losing is a big river behind you yeah. and stopping your retreat. So uh, when we got there, it was kind of in my head. I was going, oh, geez, thank God. And God, I don't have to go to Severnetsk. So when we got there, of course, these crazy Americans were like, oh, no, we should go to Severnetsk. I was like, oh, okay, how do you do that? Oh, we, we cross the river. I was like, oh, my God. Right, so you cross the river, turn on to the enemy side, and then you do what you need to do. They're like, yeah, okay. But you're not going to come with us because you're new, we don't know you, so you're going to provide security for us on our side of the bank. Mm. So uh, the, we we had a, a number of, like, civilian vehicles, um all kind of like uh, forward force um, and the, the, none is kind of military just, they try not to make it look like military because of drones so they went to a fueling point to fuel up for this mission um, and the, we didn't know at a time but the refueling point was being watched by a Russian drone so when this drone seen this that was obviously a big convoy of cars it was alright these are obviously military um, it took an interest in it it followed the convoy back to uh, our base um, and an SU-25, it's a ground attack airplane of the Russian army, it came out, they, now, now the fuel depot is around 70 kilometres away from us, so it came out, it attacked the fuel depot, it turned around and attacked us and then flew back into Russian airspace. Wow. And that's when all this kicked off where you were injured? No, 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 no. That, that was... Uh, so when that happened, it was like, right, this safe house and compromised, base and compromised, get right, off you go, get out of here. So we went back to Kiev. When we got back to Kiev, the unit commander said, right, because did that unit have been fighting in Severness for like a month straight? So they were like, right, you were giving everyone kind of leave. You, you have a month off and kind of leave slash training. And I literally just got out there um and I had just finished six weeks of training, so I didn't really want to do training again. So um, I put in kind of a request to transfer um, out east to the front out there, and that's when I ended up out in Kharkiv. So you and experienced several aspects of this encounter with that incident you mentioned there, frightening, like when you just listened to you talk about it and drones, obviously drones are a big part of this war, you know, in terms of watching things and carrying out attacks as well. Really, really frightening to be in that, but you're a soldier, you're a trained soldier, and uh, that's what you train for. You're back now, you're in hospital in Cork, awaiting transfer. Uh, how are you feeling now? I, I know when you were in hospital in Kiev, just tell me, uh, over there, will you tell me the story when you were on the trolley, you were really gripped with fear. You say more fear than you felt maybe in the heat of battle. Um, yeah, so I was actually on the car in a bus case the other day to someone that there was times when I was really afraid when I was relatively safe and there was times when I had little to no fear when I was kind of in dangerous situations. So um, 
the time that time we're talking about was over. It wasn't Kiev. It was in Kharkiv. Kharkiv is around. 30 kilometers from the Russian border. Mm. Um, so it's kind of right on the front. Now, it's out of artillery range of the Russians, but they still send cruise missiles and uh, rockets into the city every day. So because the offences have started, they usually, three or four missiles a day, um, they sent into the city, but this day it was, it was like 20 of the things. And when I see cruise missiles, these things weigh between two to 5,000 kilograms. They're big, like they're, they're big, big things that yes. destroy buildings when they when they hit. Um, and I was lying in the hospital. I had, I think it was the fourth day now of of uh, when I was injured because I was taken into the ward. I was in um, uh, it was my fourth day in hospital. Um, so I, I tubes coming out of me everywhere. I'm on a breathe machine. Um, I can't move. I can't breathe. Or I'm naked. Um, I got all my clothes cut off me. No phone. No nothing. I can't communicate with anyone. Um. And the room is full of uh, like there's the four of us in this room, and there's maybe ten hospital staff of doctors, nurses, whatever. And um, so the cruise missiles came in. They came in fairly close. That they made the window shatter, car alarms go off, and whenever one goes off, it's like it doesn't go to the far side of the city or maybe somewhere else. It's going to land within two, three hundred meters of where uh, the last one landed. So I was like, oh my god, where is this? Uh, when the, so when the, first, when the first one landed, all the hospital staff legged it out of the room. Um, I can't move. I couldn't even cover, put the blankets over me to cover myself in glass. Uh, I just had to lie there. But as soon as the last person left the room, they obviously went, oh, we've patients. And they ran in and wheeled us all back out and brought us down to the basement. Oh, what a, what a moment. And you're helpless and you're there and you're lying naked yeah. and, and nothing you can do about it. It just shows you the vulnerability. Look, Brian, you're great to join us today. I wish you well in your recovery. You're a very, very brave man. You really are. And uh, to recall all that you have there really brings it home, the, the horrors of war. But uh, there are other men uh, there at the moment and will go in the future to defend Ukraine and it is an admirable thing to do. Thank you for joining us on the show and speedy recovery to you, Brian. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. That's Brian Marr there from Rathoth, The Horrors of War. Brian Marr was talking to a moment ago, has a GoFundMe page. He's a long road to recovery called Saving Private Brian, if you'd like to check it out. That's Saving Private Brian. Listeners, you're great. Look at that picture's just come in by WhatsApp. Extra strong pegs here in Clarehead today, Jerry. Great day for the drying. I love it. And there's not a move on that clothesline. It is windy out there. Trussonomics is up in flames. Just listening to the news, watching the news over the weekend. Oh, my Oh my, how can that woman remain on as Prime Minister? She can't. Her credibility is shot. It's as simple as that. They've just reversed everything she announced, everything she ran on, her platform to be leader of the Conservatives and Prime Minister. Rishi Sunak, had he come in, there'd be none of this. Ah, oh, she's dead woman walking, that's for sure. It's only a matter of a time at this stage. Jim's been on to me. Jerry, can you highlight the fact that the price of fuel at the pumps has sneaked back up to nearly two euros a litre, um, despite the so-called reductions announced a few weeks ago? Is there nothing the government can do to make these retailers obey the law and stop the greed that's rampant uh, over all products at the moment, says Jim? Well, Jim... The thing is, our friends, in inverted commas, our friends in OPEC, you may have noticed last week, have decided to cut production. Remember that, OPEC members, look at the members of OPEC, they've decided to cut production when the world desperately needs 
uh, help. That should never be forgotten. Never, ever. And that's a factor that's going to end up underpin even more severe price rises as well. They're your friends in OPEC. Remember that. I don't think retailers, Jim, to be honest with you, they get their cut out of it or whatever it is, but they have no say on the fluctuating price of fuel. It is a supply and demand and, of course, the the cost of crude oil when it's extracted wherever from the seabed or, or on, on land. OPEC, our friends, our friends. Just remember that one. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio and my next guest is a world record holder. Yes, she is indeed. She holds a prestigious world freediving record and we're going to hear her story. Nina McGowan, congratulations and welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks very much. <laughs> well, you know what? You're a great one for a latecomer to this because you're not at this all your life. No, um... I well look. I've been. I'm, I'm very at ease in the water. I was swimming uh, as a kid. I was brought up around water. Uh, I was a scuba diver. Twenty years ago, I got into scuba. Um, yeah, but it, no, I only really took this up about two years ago. And I should I should say the record is in the masters category. So I turned fifty in May, just gone. Mm. So CMAS, which is the agency that looks after uh, free diving has various categories. So, yeah, I logged the deepest um, dive in the no-fins category. So, yes, about two weeks ago. Mm. Um, it's a world record. And I also got a gold medal in another distance. So I'm a world champion and world record holder. Well done. Well <laughs> done. And, and come here, yeah. you, you are a master. And, of course, there has to be the different age categories in all of these events. That's the way it works. And you are the world record holder and a champion in your own particular field. It must have been all the diving off the Cardi Marini you did in Belbriggan, was it? Uh, well, look, that's got a big part to play in it. The beautiful little swimming pool in there, that um, the health centre that my dad took over in the early 80s. And I, I should say, he's a champion swimmer himself. I grew up with gold medals in all the drawers in the house that he'd won as a swimmer mm. um, in Gormanston Pool, as a matter of fact, where he went to school in the 60s. So, you know, he threw me into swimming pool first thing as a kid. And from there on in, it was just my play space, my sanctuary, mm. um, a really happy place for me. So, I, yeah. You're a water baby, you see. That's the thing you're telling me. And would you believe it? Gormanston is where I learned to swim many moons ago when we used to catch a bus up from town here. And that was no pool in the, the town of Drone at the time. And where I lear, learned to swim, that's interesting. But listen, explain to listeners, because this is w- what I want to get a grasp of, and they wanted to. Explain what this no-fin free diving is. So, well, basically, freediving means I go underwater as deep as I can without any breathing apparatus. So I take a big breath on the surface and I propel myself down with, without any fins and without wearing a mask. I have a nose clip on my nose to help me equalize. You know, when you're on a plane, you blow against your nose. Mm. So I just have a nose clip there so my hands are free. And it's like a frog stroke or a breast stroke, which is the, my strongest swimming stroke. And I go down, I, I grab a tag from the bottom. And I come back up. That's basically it. I mean, there's, there's there's technique and there's a lot more to it. Yes. But that's it. So other people do uh, monofin, which is like the big kind of, you know, the mermaid's triangular tail. That's a big flat piece of plastic and it's incredibly fast. They can go much deeper, much quicker. 
also with boy fins, they're like traditional swimming fins, but they're about three foot long each. Very mm. graceful and very a lot of power in these fins. Um, but my particular speciality is no fins. So as I said, it's the most the purest and the most athletic. They describe it of all the free diving disciplines. So you're adding to your titles as we go along. Now she's a pure master <laughs> world record holder. I understand. I understand. How deep? Just tell them how deep did you go down, and how long did it take you to get there and back to the surface? Okay. Well, um, the deepest I've gone is 52 meters, but the record I set is 43 in no fins. Um, in the competition situation, which is a more stressful, so mm. we generally take a few meters off just to make it easy on ourselves. So it was 43 meters down and 43 meters up. So that's in feet, um, 40, 81. It's nearly 130 feet down and back up again. Wow. Yeah, and it took me two minutes and 10 seconds in total. For that to go day. down and come back up. Yeah. Yeah. So I take it like it, it's a fair force needed to drive down to that depth. Do you come up like a bullet? Well, no, I'm carrying weight. I wear 1.3 kilograms around my neck. So at about 20 metres, I reach neutral buoyancy and I start to free fall sink. So at that point, I'm relaxing. I'm managing the air spaces in my mouth. Okay. I've closed off my glottis. Um, I'm keeping a soft body position so that the pressure, which is increasing, doesn't affect me. I allow all my body spaces to kind of, you know, relax. And then once I hit the bottom plate, take the tag, turn around, and then I'm coming up against 43 metres of pressure um, mm. in the stroke, which I've trained, yeah. So yes. powerful, powerful downstroke mm. to bring me back up. Yeah. And, and and you don't come up, would it be sort of split evenly time-wise between going down or definitely more time going down and coming back up? Uh, well, we're getting technical here. Yeah. I have a dive computer on my, my, <laughs> my wrist and at, at, it gives me alarms at different points. Okay. It tells me when I've, I've got my speeds. Generally, uh, my free fall should be quicker, mm. uh, which is from about 20 metres to 43 or, or deeper. Going down, the, okay. The sink phase, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but he, here's the thing. It's a long time to hold your breath for. How long can you hold your breath for? What's the longest you've held a breath for? train breath hold as a, as a thing I'm, I'm not wild about it but I've done three and a half minutes so that's 33 oh that is some amount of time to go without taking a gasp in I have to say it really is it must be the supreme test because you, you can't breathe you're heading to depths you know what I mean like the and the the pressure on you and everything that goes with it it's a hell of a challenge well I, I mean it's a mental sport as much as it's physical uh, meditation being at ease in the body before you go breathing up low slow belly breathing getting your central nervous system to relax and then engage in the dive reflex which is a kind of I've been describing it as an old piece of software that's in everybody it's a human um, thing that throwback to a time where we used to hunt I mm. think, you know millions of years ago but the dive reflex, when you switch it on, will allow you to hold your breath for longer and uh, allows you to, to basically be more comfortable underwater. So it's much easier if you've got your face in the water to hold your breath than if you're sitting on the couch. Basically. Okay. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you have it. So let's all head for the pool this evening, folks. There's no bother at all. You're better in the water than trying to do this. Don't do this at home or, or hold your breath for too long altogether. But listen, you have other strings to your bow as well, because I know uh, yoga is a big part of your life. Does that help? Is it is it a mind over matter thing when it comes to the holding of the breath? Well, yoga um, is the yoking of the mind and the body together through breath. So it's about being present, being absolutely in the moment with yourself. Um, the yoga training was prime training. Like at age forty, I gave up drinking, smoking, and was really interested in in what the possibility of me inhabiting my body and being really comfortable and at home in my own body could be. So I changed my diet. I gave up carbs, basically wheat, um, these kind of things, brought down inflammation. And was, and I still am really interested in how to make your body the most comfortable and effective place that you can live. So with these ideas, the freediving actually was a kind of a research, both from, I'm, a, I'm an artist in my work, and my mm. work looks at the body as well. So freediving actually was a research piece towards the artwork and the in, the investigation or the research of how to inhabit the body in the the most comfortable way. So I'm 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 still on that uh, track, but mm. yeah, you know, it's I'm privileged, I suppose, to have found this whole route and completely on on by accident. You know, yes, <laughs> it, it turned out like this. Yes, but yeah. but but here you are, clean living, no carbs, on a journey. Do you feel? Do you feel much better for this change in your life? Oh, my God. I, I've never felt fitter. And what I'd love to say to people is it's possible for everybody. The, the body wants to optimise itself. And, you know, I think given a little bit of encouragement, a bit of belief that, that you can feel so much better, if you give it a shot, um, I think everybody can feel so much better in their bodies. I think it's a, it's a possibility. Mm. um, yeah so here you are and as you say you're a master at this and you turned a a special age as well where do you train? so I train in the Markovic pool in Dublin um, and I have to say I'm from Balbriggan and there is no swimming pool in the the Balbriggan area there's a campaign to get a pool like the Gormanson pool I mentioned is long gone now Mm. the closest place for for anybody in the North Fingal area is either to go up to Drogheda or to go to Swords so there's a campaign called swimfingal.ie the North Fingal pool campaign but for me now I live in the city so I'm in the Markovic pool um, and I'll continue my yoga uh, but it's, it's, it's easy training you know it's not really Hardcore. I've, I'm, my season is finished now with this with the World Championships, so I'll be back in the pool this week in yoga tonight. Bikram yoga, it's the hot yoga stuff. <laughs> it's a challenge, and I can't wait to get back. It's um, very meditative, moving meditation, you know. Mm. So life begins at five zero. Absolutely, and I continue. I'm gonna. I have no intention of giving this up. Mm. Um, so yeah, it does. Life becomes a fifty and gets better and better. <laughs> Why should we think that it should be anything else? That's an old-fashioned narrative, and we need to break that up. And especially for women mm. who, you know, going through menopause, all that kind of stuff, um, to come back and take control and go, no, this is actually the prime of your life, and you can feel the best you have ever felt, given a little bit of investment and faith in in the body, in in yourself. Yes. 
You're listening to that, ladies. And <laughs> Nina McGowan is living proof, a Masters, a world champion at free diving and living life to the full. Listen, you're great. You're so positive as well, I have to say, and encouraging, which is which is great to hear. And you're right. You're right. It, things don't end when you a number comes up on the clock with, with a date you were born. And not at all. It doesn't for, for everybody across the board. Look, I wish you well. I thank you for joining me and good luck with whatever you do in the future and continued success to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me, Nina. Take care. Now, that's Nina McGowan there from Balbriggan, a world champion at free diving. Take a breath. Hold on. How long could I hold it for? I don't think I can hold a breath for long. So how could you when you talk like that to somebody else? Kevin was on to me to say, hi, will you please tell Jerry Kelly that the higher price of petrol at the pumps, um, the government, it's because the government gets so much. It's nothing to do with OPEC. Mm, Kevin, I have to tell you, it's an awful lot to do with OPEC. They are a cartel who produced the majority of petroleum products in the world. They can shut off production and rise the price or flood the market with production and help everybody. And that will ultimately dictate. When it comes here, I agree with you, the government have a huge part. They do. They have a huge part of it. And they take it to put into other things, services and stuff like that for us. But believe you me, OPEC play a huge part. And in my opinion, they're screwing their friends at this time. Late lunch, LMFM Radio, back in a moment. Oh, unbridled joy in Termond Feckin' Parish this weekend. Yes, did it. Yes, won. We did. We did. We won the under 15s championship. Well done in County Loud to the Feckins. Great victory. It was a tight game, wasn't it? It was a very good tight game for a mm. play to um, Kilcurley Emmets. They put up a, a mm. great fight. Three points in it in the end, but and massive celebrations in the Ferreto yes. household this weekend. Own the manager, yes, Cole Star Owen on the Richie team. Duff as well. Oh, excellent! Richie's in, Richie's involved with Owen, yes. is he? Yeah. I tell well you one thing: Darver must be the coldest spot in the planet, doesn't it? <laughs> it always is. Wow. GA grounds, football grounds in general. Oh my gosh! When the wind blows and the rain falls and there's not much shelter, it is cold. I think the it air is code wet. in Darver must be hypothermic. <laughs> <laughs> Freezing, and then all the heavens opened at the end. There was every season in about five minutes. Yes, thunder, lightning, hail. That was Saturday, wasn't it? It really was yeah. Saturday. Mm. I was at the Bellious Town and uh, Shockland game. Uh, Kieran Flynn, my son-in-law, Dulik uh, Bellious Town, yeah, against um, you know Dunshockland in the intermediate final. I was over in Park Talton, and I met Brian Curran and his daughter. I was delighted to meet him. He was he was very happy. Walterstown had won the junior they beat Dunsany he was just leaving the ground then and uh, have to say that um, Dunshockland were deserving winners in the game they they really were deserving winners no doubt about that and then of course into Sunday St Mary's RD congratulations Mm. to all of you loud senior football champions for the first time in quite a number of years beating the Newtown Blues in the end by three points but another terrific game the replay and Rathoth the Mead County champions the Mead County champions were told, uh, crowned champions as well yesterday. Congratulations to all involved there. It was a fantastic weekend of sport, wasn't it? Was, it was, yeah. Fantastic, it really was. And, and I some ha- surprising results. Yes, well, sure, that's the nature of the beast, mm. isn't it? That's what that's what brings us back every time. have to say, a busy weekend. Yesterday I was in the commentary position, back to where it all began for me. Uh, Drawed United against Shamrock Rovers. I was working for League of Ireland yeah. TV and I so enjoyed, I love the old commentaries. I was going to say, what was it like to oh, be back again? It was just, that was great. You know, that's where it all began for me many moons ago in this game. But uh, Drawed were fantastic against Shamrock Rovers. Oh my mm. God, if Kevin Doherty 
had some money. They have the tiniest budget in the Premier Division. That man could do an awful lot for Drogheda United. He really could. They're a great outside. They've stayed up this year and they could have beaten Shamrock Rovers yesterday. They could have, and it was a great performance. And I have to mention... Arsenal Football Club, the Gunners, <laughs> were still top of the pile, Louise. And Man City beaten yesterday by Liverpool. Oh my, oh my, we're still top. I'd have to rub my eyes look, when I look at the table and just make sure it's not an illusion at this stage of things. But sport, yeah, what a sporting weekend it was all round. Congratulations to the winners, commiserations to the mm. runners-up and losers. And I have to mention my six-year-old who scored his first goal <laughs> for Terminfeck and Celtic against Walshestown as well yesterday. And my daughter as well, who was part of her winning team. Sure, it was just sport galore for no, us this weekend. No wonder Dave Sheehan is shaking in his boots. He says, I'll be gone on Fridays because <laughs> that Louise one is just getting to know so much about sport it's it's unbelievable but hey I have a how to tie a shoelace (laughs) that it doesn't open during a match that's very important as Mm. well all those little things they all count can you get shoes with velcro Mm, football boots yeah I don't know I never no I think they're all laced are they maybe you can I'm sure there's everything for anything and everything in the world I'm sure you can but no no teach them to tie the laces no don't be at that come on humankind has been ruined enough that you can get to the stage that you can't tie a lace but look I want to tell you I have a solution I have a solution you know how many times on this show anywhere in Lermaid where did the most crashes happen on a road now seriously one junction Mm. There's one junction in the northeast, Loud the Mead, where there are more accidents. That's very prevalent. Oh my God, Louise! You don't know if it's the worst, but it definitely they are prevalent. There's certainly not a week goes by without a bing or a bash or a boo down there on the end of the Ratmullen Road mm-hmm. and the junction, mm-hmm. the the bend on on they call the new bridge in Drogheda. I have the solution. It's it's staring everybody in the face. No access south from the Ratmullen Road at the junction on the bend. No southern access. So in other words, you come down the Ratmullen Road, you can't hop across the two Mm. near lanes to go south on the road. No southern access. And if you do that, you'll end all the traffic Mm. bedlam on this road and you will certainly stop and end all the accidents. That's a great idea. I... That is the solution. I've sat there day after day the last week <laughs> and it's, really it's perplexing it. me and that's the solution. <laughs> no access from our Mullen Road south of that junction and we won't be reporting all those uh, crashes here on LMFM Radio. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp, a text. Just a text in there. Three minutes without taking a breath. That's amazing for a woman, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Do you agree, Louise? <laughs> Uh, Do you agree? No, I don't agree, but it's a great comment. <laughs> it's a great comment, isn't it? <laughs> it is a great comment. It is. Anyway, we're heading towards our next break. Coming up after that, we will be having a chat with Martin O'Brien, the LMETB chief executive, and he has news for us on uh, a number of fronts. But taking us there, I want to mention Noel Duggan from Clannad. He died suddenly at the weekend in Donegal, a founder member of Clannad and a singer and songwriter with them for years and years. And he passed away all too quickly. And we remember him today as we enjoy Clannad and In a Lifetime on Your Late Lunch. I am pleased to say hello on late lunch this afternoon to the Chief Executive Officer of LMETB, Martin O'Brien. Hello, Martin. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Just listening to our news today to pick up on this uh, initially. Uh, big news for Drahad and a new training centre. 
Yes, new training centre for Drogheda-Jerry, fantastic news and a game-changer for the town. And and what will that comprise? What what will it be and what will it offer? Essentially, it will be a training centre for apprentices and we will enrol or we will train 400 apprentices a year, up to 400 apprentices a year. Terrific. So that's just coming out in our news today. So watch that space. When would you be hoping next year, the year after, how soon? We're hoping early spring to open. Very good. So that's uh, quite imminent indeed and we'll be carrying more news of that I'm sure as the time nears to the opening. But today I want to talk to you about, this is quite a mouthful, the Advanced Manufacturing and Training Centre, AMTCE in Dundalk. Now this place is geared towards um, training people in manufacturing. So I want to ask you this first. Is this, um, you know, an attempt to pull back from the Far East and cheaper countries? I don't mean to say that in any disrespectful way, but where manufacturing could be done more cost effectively. Is this aimed at uh, re-establishing a strong manufacturing base here in Ireland? Absolutely, yes. It it is uh, aimed at making uh, Ireland more competitive uh, from a lean perspective, from a manufacturing perspective and from an automation perspective. I suppose we're ranked very low uh, internationally in terms of our attention to automation. So we really have to up our game in the whole automation space. And and this is certainly something it, which is great to hear about and, and that is now being tackled seriously because there was a view, and Martin, I'm sure you're well aware of this, that really Ireland, we'd given up on this type of thing. Yes, well, everything is moving in the direction now of automation, and we really have to, to move in, into that space more, whether it be autonomous vehicles, 3D printing, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, all of that uh, automated-type uh, manufacturing has to uh, become more and more central stage in our manufacturing industry. So we need to increase, if you like, productivity, increase profitability, grow our exports and develop. And most importantly, develop through trained personnel that have the skill set available to attract companies here and enhance the ones that are here already. Yes, and this is not about uh, getting rid of people or jobs. It's about creating new jobs. Uh, It's about identifying the next 20 jobs that are going to be needed in the construction and in the manufacturing sector and training people so they can secure those positions and also help Irish industry to compete by having the skills base to do that. So as manufacturing has changed because of technology, because of innovation, what you're saying is we're back in the game? We're back in the game, absolutely. That's really, really good to hear. Now, you you touched on one there that I'm curious about. This 3D uh, concrete printing, this is a remarkable thing, isn't it? Yes, uh, we've we've partnered with Harcourt uh, Technologies and Cobod, and we've actually uh, set up a 3D printer with them in Drogheda, and we've printed the first 3D walls in Ireland actually in Drogheda. We're now in the position uh, where LMHB are going to procure their own 3D printer to train people in concrete printing so that we can take advantage of these technology uh, technologies, that we can uh, use this as a, uh, a contributory uh, method of construction for the housing industry and hopefully reduce housing unit costs. Now, when you say 3D concrete printing, people are listening and scratching their heads. You're talking about concrete and printing in the in the same 
sentence. Explain how this works. You're actually, you said making walls. Is it true that you could build a house in a week with this technology? Absolutely. Uh, six two-bedroom apartments have been printed three stories high in 10 days using this technology. So it, it does work. Now, it's different to what we know from traditional block work and traditional methods of manufacture. It's a new method of manufacture and uh, of uh, house building. And it's predicted that 15 20% of the houses uh, in Ireland will be printed using this technology into the future. Isn't that amazing? Because we think of printing and a traditional printer, Martin. I'm laughing here, you know what I mean? Trying to get my own head around this. But this this is actually the, 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 the innovation we've been talking about there. Printing walls, building a house, building those apartments, you said in jig time. So this advanced manufacturing and training centre in the dock is a hub of training for this is only one example but many others as well yes from robotic welding robotic cobotics that's robots working in partnership if you like with humans uh, we have an industry 4.0 factory which is uh, if you like an intelligent uh, production line that you would have in any factory where each part of the line talks to the next part as it were and the customer can track and trace their product as it goes through that production cycle for people listening to us today who have an interest in this or know somebody who may have, what's the uh, modus operandi for finding out more information, getting onto one of these courses, availing of the training? We have about 100 different courses up on the ANTC website. People can log on there. They can book their course. Most of these courses are free. If you're working in industry, there's three different strands on those skills to advance. And uh, what happens, say there's a 70-30 split where the state pays 70% of the funding, 30% comes from the employer. And how that works is the employer, for example, would give people a day to go and do the course, and that counts towards the 30%. Right. And, so and it actually costs industry nothing. Do you have to be employed? Has it to be uh, booked through your employer? But booked in, the individuals booked them in through the employer with, with their, uh, obviously they need their permission. Yes, but you must be employment and you must have a, an employer to sponsor you. You just can't, if you're listening today, go on, go on the website and apply on, on your own bat. You, you can go on the website and apply on your own bat, absolutely. Can you? There's just, there are three different strands. Okay. And the idea of this centre is that, you know, you have the, the skills to advance, but you also have skills that are needed for getting people back into work. Okay. And there will be an apprenticeship dimension to that centre as well, where it's going to develop its own apprenticeship for uh, automation and robotics. Mm. So this is cutting edge. It is the future, Martin. This is the thing about it. You're you're trying to future-proof us here uh, to, to put us in the best position. I say that again, to pick up jobs, uh, businesses, etc. in the Northeast. Yes, it's, it's aimed at making Irish industry more competitive on the, the global stage. Yes, good to hear, good to hear. Um, for yourself, you're relatively recently in the job. How are you getting on? Getting on great. All, all going well. Uh, we have our headquarters building going ahead in Drogheda, so that's that's good news. Uh, St. Oliver's are in the middle of a, a major extension there to the school. <clears throat> we have that advanced manufacturing project in Dundalk, and that project is running at about £25 million at the moment. Uh, and we have our new training centre in Drogheda, Together with Stiffy, uh, we've been successful in the strategic investment fund that Solis have created, and we're going to build a, a community uh, 
changing facility and a tertiary education block there. And that will give opportunity to develop third-level courses in Drogheda. So it's, it's really good for Drogheda. You're one of the largest in the country. I've just been having a look at that. What have you had? 2,500 staff, 12,000 students uh, and almost 22,000 uh, people involved in further education. That's right, yes. And our, our second-level enrolment, for example, is growing at about 400, 450 students uh, per year. Uh, it, it, the strands are magnificent and and the options are, you know, brilliant as well and feeding into industry, into the economy and alternatives to going the traditional career route, uh, sorry, the study route to university or, or whatever. There is so much choice. It really is fantastic to see and, and you're, you're thriving and you really are. So just to come back again, the Advanced Manufacturing and Training Centre, AMTCE, check out that, that is a website of its own or is it under LMETV? That's a website of its own. If you check out that website, you'll be able to log on, see the courses, get a little tour around the facility. And people are welcome to uh, to, to email into the centre and they will take people around and show them what the centre is all about. Great stuff. Martin, uh, good news today all round and uh, well done to you. And uh, you're really getting your feet under the table for sure uh, in your new role. Thanks for joining me on Late Lunch today, Martin. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. That's uh, Martin O'Brien there, the CEO of LMETB. And just to say it again, if anything there uh, tickles your fancy or you know somebody who might avail of uh, what's, you know, look, when you think of it, it, it's in the most part paid for. Uh, Check it out. In Dundalk, fantastic place. Advanced Manufacturing and Training Centre Dundalk. They have their website there and there's more information. There's loads and loads of courses on offer there. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Now, when I tell you there's a bomb or there was a bomb found at the local military museum, you'll say to me, well, sure, isn't that what a military museum is all about? But not quite when you hear the story. Stay with us on Late Lunch. My good friend Helen in on Chocolate, thank you Helen, has WhatsApped me. I love when you WhatsApp me in pics. Jerry, look what I found out. My walk today, the most beautiful mushrooms. Oh, it is mushroom season. And they look edible to me. They look like the field mushrooms. You know, you have to be careful with them. Oh, I'd love to put them in the pot with some milk and pepper and salt and just let them ease down into a lovely... Lovely soup, mushrooms. Oh, you can't beat it. Thanks, Helen. You have the goo on me now for sure. Let's move on on the show today and say hello to a man who we talked to in the past because it looked like his military museum would have to close. But thank God the insurance was resolved and he's in business. William Sullivan, hello. Well, hello, how are you? I'm really good. Thanks for taking our call today. Well, William, look, you get donations, don't you, to the museum? You do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we normally get, might, somebody might bring in a helmet or a jacket or they might find a bit of clothing or, or a medal or things like that, knives. Um, but we got a very unusual one on Friday at <laughs> one o'clock. You did. Tell them what you got. Um, I, we were working at the back, getting ready for Halloween here and uh, got a phone call. Uh, a man had been in the museum three months earlier and thought it was a fantastic museum and he said I'd sit my home and, and my daddy got it 50 years ago he says and I'll never use it this, this man's in his, his, his late 60s early 70s mm. and he says it's been in the garage for the last 50 years he says uh, I'll drop it into you and I said Grand boys and he said I'll show you I'll show you when I bring it up and um, he landed in here on Friday with a camper van and his wife was in the front and in the back was an 18 pound shell 
A bomb. A bomb, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, um, it would make, let's just say if, if it had exploded, uh, you wouldn't have even known there was a van there. Oh. You know? um, and, and you wouldn't have known there was only the end of the van, except it was, it was driven in, you know. And we wouldn't be talking here today for sure, William. Now look at, did he lift it out or did you, did you handle it or did you run? Um, I, I went over and I looked at it and, and, and I went, um, I, I, I called a friend of mine over, uh, Gavin was here at the time, because we were actually going to go out for a bit of dinner and I, I was treating him and, and Gavin came over and I said, hey, Gavin, am I looking at this right? And Gavin says, yeah. So I told him he had a live bomb. Uh, his wife went very pale very fast because uh, this was rattling around in the back of, 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 oh. of uh, like it was rolling around. <gasps> William, William, and listen, obviously then, did you lift it to feel the weight of it? What suggested to you is that it might be primed and ready to go? Well, we have uh, about 20 or 30 of them up here in the museum, and they're right. only about a quarter of the weight of this one. Um, this one was weighing about 18 pounds, so that meant it was it was intact. Um, so I, I kind of said, like, if we leave, he, he can't drive off with it. Because no. if, if there's a problem here, we have a major problem on the main road. And I can't leave it here because uh, uh, if it goes off or if there's a problem with it going off, um, well, you're going to do damage to people around it. Houses around you. Yes. And, and, uh, so I brought it down the back um, of the museum, about 300 metres down the back. We, we've, we're actually developing an area down the back for equine-assisted learning and equine-assisted therapy. Oh, and uh, we, we went into the middle of the paddock and, and uh, I, I put it down there, took one or two pictures of it for the Gardaí because... Uh, I don't think they would have believed me. Um, and on the way up around the guards, uh, I, I, I think it sunk in at that stage what I was after doing because I'm used to picking up unexploded ordnance from, from going over to France. You, you, walk over, you walk a field in France and they're like, as you said, mushrooms. Mm. They're there. Mm. Um, it, it, it's going to be another 200 years before these shells are all gone out of the ground, unexploded shells, because one in four never went off in World War One. Mm. So... Um, and what we do over there is, is if we're walking across the field and you see one, you just pick it up, you put it to the side of the field. The farmer does that anyway. Yes. And, uh, and that's it. You don't think anymore. The bomb disposal come every month and, 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 uh, or every three weeks and, and they pick up the unexploded ordnance. And they pick up about, I think it's about 30 ton a year yeah. of unexploded shells in the Somme region. Okay. Now, so back, I, back to your paddock. I'm getting really worried here. You leave it in the paddock, take the pictures, ring the guards, and there's suddenly a full alert. Yes. Yeah, well, I have to say, I rang Navangara uh, station. Within 15 minutes, there was, the squad cars were here. Uh, they cornered off the museum, so it was, it was, it was shut down, and that was it. Um, and then about, um, that, that was about half one. About five o'clock, the bomb disposal came and went down and examined it. Um, they said, yeah, it was definitely an 18-pounder. It was definitely a high-explosive shell. Um, and and they went round and 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 did the work on it, um, and they, they were happy when they were leaving that it was it was disarmed. Yeah. Um, and they gave it to me, so we have no fear in But William, William, tell me this: they were happy. Could it have gone off? Well, as far as I was concerned, and 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 my friend that was there, yes, um, it, it it seemed all there. Um, the, the army were happy enough to say no, it was it was safe by the time they were leaving. Okay, you know, so, so did they decommission uh, it? It's for, yeah, well, they're, they're sending me out to serve to say it's decommissioned. Okay, right, decommissioned. Yeah. Rumour has it you were seen in pennies at the underpants counter. 
I'll take it. <laughs> it doesn't matter how expensive, how cheap underpants are, but uh, yeah, I had to change them out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to bring that up, but it is a reality when you have that weight of a bomb and it's live uh, on your person. Going back to the gentleman who had it, you know, and he got it from his dad, you said, what are you talking about? World War Two here, World War One? World War One. Yeah. His father, like this, this man was in his late sixties, early seventies, and, mm. and uh, he had it in the shed for fifty years. And his father had passed away like forty years earlier. He said, like you know, so yes. um, uh, uh, he was he was in shock as much as I was, and actually his wife. I think his wife was going to kill him. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was um, it's an experience. I have to say, like, I never thought about it. I wasn't being brave. I wasn't being. I just I knew it had to be taken out there, brought down the back, put somewhere safe. That uh, if I if it, if it did go off or something did yeah, go wrong, it was safe. That mm. was it. Wasn't going to do a damage to anything, um, and that oh, was it. That's God. only what happened. I'm just thinking of it rolling round in the van still, and then you having to lift it and assess the weight and what went through your mind at that stage. But all's well that ends well. It's safe and sound now. You're up and running again. You're open weekends. You mentioned you were in there. You're getting ready for the Halloween. So uh, Strina just outside Cullen and the road out from Drogheda. You can see it. It's signposted there. So you're welcoming visitors and, and you're doing something special for the Halloween too. Yeah, we're doing a pumpkin pick next Saturday and next Sunday. Um, and then and then the following weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday, we're doing pumpkin pick. And we're also doing a spooky night where we have, um, well, let's just say the museum comes alive with, with, with ghosts and, and, and ghouls and, and you have smoke machines. An awful lot of smoke you won't see in front of you. And, and uh, an awful lot of people leave there kind of traumatised. But it, it, it's great fun. It is good fun. Well, you're a man used to trauma after the weekend, that's for sure. We can assure everybody there'll be no live ammo there. It's all ghosts and ghouls over the Halloween. What a story. It just shows you. You never know what will turn up. Delighted to hear from you and that you're up and running again and looking forward to the different events during the year. Thank you for telling your story to me today, William. No problem. Listen, thank you a million. And, and, and uh, if anybody has that unusual, just just uh, ring the bomb squad <laughs> <laughs> take care good advice there Thanks certainly good advice bye 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 he's a great character isn't he he certainly is Strictly Come Dancing fans in their element as the season really takes hold on the BBC I see Matt Goss was eliminated uh, this weekend Matt Goss famous man from many moons ago is out at this stage and one falling each week as we head towards Christmas James has been on to me uh, from Drogheda to say the chickens it's that windy Jerry the chickens are laying the same eggs twice <laughs> think about that that's a good analogy with the strength of the wind this afternoon good to hear from you James now late lunch LMFM radio at this time most days we do this the late lunch artist of the week artist of the week Yes, my artist of the week was born Eunice Kathleen Wayman on the 21st of February 1933. An American civil rights activist, pianist, singer and songwriter with an ability to deliver her music in a range of styles, from jazz to classical, folk to gospel and the blues to pop. She was the sixth of eight children from a poor family in North Carolina. Initially, she wanted to be a concert pianist, but her talent took her in an entirely different direction musically, one that would make her an international superstar. She studied music in New York, started playing piano at a nightclub in Atlantic City, where she honed her talent as a jazz vocalist. 
before going on to record more than 40 albums between 1958 and 74. Yes, my artist of the week is the simply sublime Nina Simone. I put a spell on you. Cause you're mine. just simply something else yes Miss Nina Simone my artist of the week more about her in words and song round about this time tomorrow afternoon now flu season is on the way it's been very difficult in the southern hemisphere New Zealand Australia etc which they've gone through so we're expecting similar here up next to talk about it and the vaccine is Cathy Marr flu season is imminent and each year on late launch we have a chat with somebody who knows all about it delighted to say hello again to Cathy Marr from Haven Pharmacy in Delhi. hello Cathy Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Just to contact that I uh, before the break, I mentioned it's been a particularly difficult flu season in the southern hemisphere. It has been. I suppose we're all emerging from the pandemic, and the, the term twindemic has been has been thrown about, and we're waiting to see. They've had some problematic cases. They've had some increased hospitalizations. The fatalities haven't been where they were fearing so that's what we're hoping at here that we can do the best we can to protect ourselves as the population against flu and COVID. And of course, our vaccine is based upon what they've experienced down there, which will run rampant here through the population over the coming weeks and months. Who should get the vaccine, Cathy, and why? Uh, well, do you know, Jerry, the flu vaccine is the best way to protect anyone against flu. So anyone and everyone should really be vaccinated against the flu. Some age groups and some patients will get a free flu vaccine because they'll be deemed at a higher risk. Um, but really, anyone can get the flu vaccine. If you're not in the free flu vaccine category, you can certainly pay privately and have it done with your GP or your pharmacy. So, But it's really important because flu does change every year. So some people might think, well, should I have my flu jab, flu jab last year? So I should be protected. But as you say, we gauge what has happened in the Southern Hemisphere and the four ingredients, the four inactive strains in our flu vaccine is determined on what has been active in their winter, which has obviously just passed. Um, flu disease spreads rapidly and for anyone that knows that they've had a true flu or an actual case of influenza it can be really severe debilitating and we do lose maybe up to about 200 people a year um, through death from flu so it's really important getting the flu vaccine is the best way to protect yourself and your loved ones from flu. Now it's predominantly delivered via a jab in the arm but there is an alternative and children avail of that the nasal spray. I'm just thinking from an adult's point of view if someone's queasy about the jab can they have the nasal or does it work? Is that simplistic? Too simplistic? It is a little Jerry. The nasal <laughs> spray is just for the ages okay. up to 17 2 to 17. Okay. And we might wonder why but you've got a great point there why Why are children why are you under 17s why are they getting a nasal spray why are they getting a flu vaccine at all? But we think of those ones are going to see granny and granddad and we think that they can carry disease for up to 10 days. A general adult can carry the vaccine for up to 7 days and shed virus for up to 7 days without realising it. But a child can shed it for up to 10 days so they can actually pass on disease, flu disease, to 
to vulnerable adults. So that's why it's really important that anyone from 2 to 17, they are deemed the at-risk group. It is free and very convenient to have the flu vaccine for children given. I would say the shelf life, it is a live vaccine, the, the flu vaccine for children, the nasal spray. So the shelf life doesn't doesn't tend to be as long as the vaccine, the injection. So they haven't, the flu vaccine for children hasn't come into stock yet. We're expecting that towards the end of October. But at the minute, we're working through the adult and the at-risk populations. Some people like myself are childlike in mind, but it still doesn't qualify me or you or anyone else like that. We have to say it is up to 17 uh, with the nasal. Now, here's the, you make a very good point there on a serious note. You know, if you grandparents who are pushed on a bit in years, you are exposing them to danger if a child has, when you when you mention that there, aren't you? You really are. You really are. And people, particularly those over 65 or those with chronic health conditions such as heart disease, liver disease, respiratory illnesses, so COPD or asthma, um, some other chronic conditions like MS or Parkinson's disease, anyone that has a a higher body mass index or a long-term therapy or cancer patients or anyone like that who's at risk of serious disease. Flu can be very, very serious and those people are at a risk, a higher risk of complications. So that's why it's important that we do vaccinate the 2 to 17 year olds to try and prevent spread, but also we vaccinate those over 65 and those in those chronic conditions. Do it early because it will take about two weeks for the flu vaccine to be fully effective. So we want to get it done early in the season. The season really started on the 3rd of October, so we started vaccinating for against flu from the 3rd of October. So we're only two weeks in. The first six weeks is when we tend to get, we try and get everyone in because the earlier you get the flu vaccine in the winter, the longer you're going to be prepared right through to March, April. And two weeks, folks, remember that it does take two weeks for the vaccine to fully kick in and be effective. We, we always bring this up. Side effects, they're mild generally, aren't they? They generally are. Um, they tend to be soreness, redness, um, a bit of tenderness, at the point of injection, so at the site. So we, that's why we tend to use the non-dominant arm. So if you're right-handed, Jerry, we'll give it to you in the left arm. And then the next day you'll be thinking, oh, I'm a bit achy, I'm a bit stiff. And you'll remember why that there was the flu vaccine. You might have a mild temperature in around 37, 38 degrees. That's fine. You might have mild sweating or shivering, even perhaps little respiratory symptoms like a runny nose or sneezing. They tend to last for 24 to 48 hours, and that's absolutely fine. They're usually mild and self-limiting. You take paracetamol, rest, plenty of fluids, and that is fine. Because, as I said, it can take up to two weeks for the vaccine to be fully effective. This time of year is when all of these respiratory viruses are circulating and beginning to circulate. So it is quite possible, and it does happen quite frequently, that someone might come into contact with another virus, a rhinovirus, and maybe develop a cold or a chest infection or something in that intervening two weeks. And there can be a misconception that oh, that flu vaccine, that gives me the flu. I'm not getting that. That made me sick last year. It's just coincidental that you're in contact with another virus while we're waiting for the flu vaccine to become fully effective. So I would ask people not to let that put them off. Do the best they can. Get the best shot. Get the shot they are. Very important advice available from your local pharmacist or GP. Just one quick thing, only a a few seconds on this. I'm not getting into it uh, because I have a question. I knew I'd get this in. Do you recommend getting the COVID and flu jabs uh, at the same time? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. And we're doing this daily in the pharmacy. Some of the GPs um, are doing it too. So what we, the, the various questions that we're being asked within the pharmacy is kind of getting both in the same appointment. If you're eligible for the COVID booster, absolutely. So if you've had COVID within the past four months, you can't get the COVID booster. And then depending on certain conditions and age groups, we'll determine whether you're eligible for the first.
first booster or the second booster if you're getting the flu vaccine at the same time absolutely you can do it in either arm we had a question this morning in our own pharmacy can I get them both in the one arm and that can also be done we just leave a bigger gap so it's absolutely fine and safe and it is actually the best protection against both illnesses there you go Cathy as usual so good thank you for joining me appreciate your advice always thank you Terry take care that's Cathy Mara there from Haven Pharmacy in Dulic that's our lot today many people opening up their fires have you ever checked your chimney does it need cleaning we're talking to a chimney sweep tomorrow on the show Rachel Graham is here on International Menopause Day she has a new book out totally geared towards the menopause Sinead Kelly offers veterinary advice and Philip Quinlan talks to us about postnatal depression in men. Two on Tuesday and Artist of the Week also coming your way tomorrow from 1.30. Eddie Caffrey's on his way. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. We'll leave you in the company of Dermot Kennedy. Have a lovely Monday evening. See you tomorrow. Bye. There's lessons in love sometimes The heart is but a winding road LMFM Podcasts With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.